Welcome to Any Honey and the Newt. Welcome to another episode of Any Honey and the Newt. Uh, as we've been doing all season, we've been talking about love and relationships. We started with uh, love of basketball as fans and love of basketball and the sport as a player. We talked about player-player relationships, players with their teams and organizations, and their relationship with their fans. And that led us to the broader questions about relationships and, and love in society. And we've been so fortunate to have uh, so many of our friends and family join us as guests Today, we're honored to have our first uh, double interview as my parents are joining us. Uh, welcome to the show. So honored to be here. Thank you for having <laughs> us on. Thank you. I'm the Newt's dad, Paul Kesserwitz. <laughs> Papa, Papa and Mama Newt. Yes. yes, there we go. Yeah, so Papa and Mama Newt, <laughs> thanks for joining. Uh, Mom and Dad, really grateful for your time. So uh, we've been starting off with with the general question of what is love, but I understand this time my mom has a question for us that she wants to start with. Oh, taking over host duties. <laughs> I um, particularly had had Corbin in mind, and Anthony, Annie, honey, you're welcome. Newton, Annie, honey, I'm get those. Um, I know I watched your first iPad this last week, and you were talking about your love for basketball. So in my research this week, when I was looking up for the different terms for love, I found a term that uh, has describes the love that you have for a sport or your favorite team. And I wanted to particularly ask Newt, because I know he studied Greek, what, what, what's the term for the, the Greek term for love? That is for sports. Oh my goodness, huh. that is twenty uh, some years ago. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's not phileo and it's not agape. Uh, I don't think it's eros, but I don't remember the fourth one. So I'm just going to say the fourth one. <laughs> Let me see. Could be the fourth one. You're probably right. <laughs> <laughs> Here I was thinking. You're going to give him the answer or you're just going to leave him hanging? Well, when I'm talking about the Greek terms, I'll, I'll do that. Let's show me throw it out there right now. Yeah, yeah. What sure. Um, because I couldn't remember them all. That's why I went to research. Storge, is that how you say it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Storge. And um, that's, a, that's a love that is specifically for parents and children. But... Um, it's also a natural empathy or acceptance or putting up with things, but it's also used to refer to your love of country or sports or your favorite teams, Storge. So your love for basketball is Storge. So that sense of family maybe that's bonded in a team. That's interesting. Yeah. Mama Newt with the one, the spoilers, first of all, because you mentioned some things that we haven't talked about yet, which we're going to. <laughs> and two, I got to praise you for uh, for putting Corbin on the spot here. Here, I think I was thinking it was an open ended question and you quizzed him. <laughs> <laughs> 
I quit Reese's. <laughs> as, if, as if Mama Newt never puts Newt on the spot. You know, Penny Honey, that when Corbin broke his leg, he was uh, at the end of his sixth grade, and he was basically home for the summer, and I was studying Greek. Guess what Corbin did that summer on the back porch? <laughs> yeah, I had a head start on my college minor about six years too soon. <laughs> Is that where your love of philosophy began? You were studying foreign languages and, <laughs> and pondering the terms and meanings of the words. <laughs> yeah, sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. I remember that summer. That was a that was a really great alternative for me because that was the only year I made an all star team, <laughs> and then I couldn't play because I had a broken leg. <laughs> so learning Greek and and helping with my mom's uh, studies was actually quite a thrill. Were you a fan vote or were you a coach write-in? <laughs> I was a coach write-in. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, uh, yeah, after the quiz there on the Greek terms, we just kind of want to throw it back out and see, do you have um, a characterization of, of how you would describe what love is? And that can be for either either one of you or if you want to take it jointly. I, I would say that uh, it's... It's a it's a combination of a relationship and a decision, and you uh, establish the relationship, and then you make decisions as to how you're going to nurture and encourage and manage that relationship, and how you're going to respond when the relationship isn't. Uh, as rosy as you always want it to be. So that's where the, the decision part really ties in. So I would say that it's, it's not quite so mechanical as I probably just described it, but uh, those are the features that have the most strength for me because I can believe in the relationship, I can trust in the relationship, and then I've decided to do that also, not just by what's happening in the moment or what has happened in the past, but also with confidence of what will occur in the future. And that decision is the key for bringing us through 45 years of marriage. Because there's a lot of times you would have liked to just walked away from it or figured, you know, <laughs> oh, whatever, he doesn't love me anymore. But he decided to love me and keep on loving me and give me a second, third, 45th chance. <laughs> That's great. I uh, I do. I am uh, impressed with the long longitude of the, your marriage and uh, knowing that you guys do um, have everyday conflicts like like anybody in relationships do and have chosen to to stick through it. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I also just want to point out like we've had people talk about love as a feeling, love as an activity, something that you do. And I'm really glad to have someone explicitly talk about it as, as a kind of state of being, a relation. Um, that's a different perspective we haven't really talked about, combined with something mental, a mental act, right? That is an act, but it's more of like an intention uh, versus like some kind of physical activity that you're doing to carry out that intention. So those are two really different um, components we haven't talked about yet. I wanted, in answer to that, that first question, what does love mean? Um, I wanted to add that his is so good. I don't need to say anything more. 
But what I immediately thought of is in Facebook, you got these little things. You can like something, you can love something, you can wow, you can cry, whatever. So it's usually for me, it's like or love. What's the difference? Why would I choose love over like? And, and that might define love a little bit for me because I can like a lot of things. I can like the fact that you posted something and I got to see it today because that was my entertainment of the day. But um, when I love something, something has gone into my heart and pulled a string. Whether it's, it's a, a video or something about a little baby, a child, a cute uh, pet animal or something that's caught my attention. So love is deeper than just liking something, but it's of course deeper than that too. But just um, when I'm writing to a friend or talking to a friend and I say, I love you at the end, before I go, before I part, as I do with my sons, it means I care deeply about you and I will always be here for you. So it's more than that one little four letter word. It's I'm here for you for whatever reason. I always care about you. That's my heartstrings. I'm a mama and you have <laughs> my heartstrings. I'm a friend. I'm a spouse. My heartstrings are pulled by that four little word. Four little mm. We've often talked about um, how love is kind of a catch-all for a lot of these things. So I like that you mentioned that um, when you use the word love, it also means that you care deeply or that you can, that you're there for them or that you're willing to listen to them. Um, are there any other acts that you would associate with love that you do? I, I would say uh, there are, uh, acts of service associated with love. And so, uh, uh, you know, how you respond or how you, uh, how you make things happen without uh, necessarily uh, being part of uh, directed activity at any given time. Uh, that would be uh, part of the response to love part of the response to the relationship. Would this tie into that second um, thought question you gave us about how do we give love and how do we receive love? Yeah, because absolutely. I want to say I'm a giver. Mm. I mean, for years I've had a son try to tell me, quit giving, quit giving, but <laughs> I'm a giver. And so if it's going to be a gift, if it's going to be something like that, it's going to, more than that, it's because in giving, you know, I've been thinking of you. I went and got this because I was thinking of you. Or I want to give you time. Time is the most important thing you give anybody. And time can be spent in conversation. Um, for me, that works. I'm not, I'm not a hugger. I'm not a kisser. I'm not a back rubber. He's a back rubber. He's good. <laughs> <laughs> But my language or whatever is giving and um, I am receiving. I like the same things back. I would like conversation. I would like time. Let's go for a drive together. Let's talk. Let's really listen to what each person is saying. Um, so acts of love is that, that time, that conversation, that act of giving. Yeah. 
We uh we talked in a previous episode about our our love languages too, and, and so you're mentioning like gifts and and quality time. Dad mentioned acts of service, uh, and then not touch not so much. Um, so as I try to think back about how we love maybe outside of our romantic relationships, I, th- I think when I think of love languages, I tend to think in terms of of a partner of equality. But when you think about parent-child relationships, for instance, um, do you feel like a different love uh, language or relationship is experienced there, or you like to do the same kinds of things just in a different way for that person? I'd say for me, it's different. It's different because uh, the love um, takes a couple of different forms. Uh, First off is protection and uh, shelter, an an umbrella, and uh, that's not always just a building. That can sometimes be uh, personal or interactions. So you try to create a a protected area that, uh, that the family can move around in and be themselves in, and yet uh, there's guardrails. There's boundaries. There's uh, safety zones. That's one piece. Then the other piece is uh, the freedom to be who they are hmm. and uh, uh, appreciate and uh, endorse, uh, embolden as much as possible um, the the family member to be who they are and and develop themselves um, and when when uh, the family member isn't in such a bold mood uh, sometimes you got to kick them out of the nest and make them fly <laughs> or or try something that they're uncomfortable with um, just to help them in their development and that's part of that relationship I'm trying to stay away from the word love it's part of that relationship. It's part of that uh, um, safe zone that protects them, but also exposes them and uh, gives them a chance to uh, be inoculated from the world around that they're going to have to survive in when they're outside the protection of the the close-knit family. So mm-hmm. I see that being a key part of that relationship development. Excellent. You see why I married this guy? I learned so much from him. <laughs> well, and I, I remember the story. You saw this hot guy out in left field. <laughs> oh, with a cute little butt wiggle. <laughs> right, right before he batted. I'm sorry. I didn't do that on him. <laughs> he really jump over the fence to catch the ball. I got hung up upside down on the fence. <laughs> I think for me, I am just, um, love is so deep within me with my giving and my caring that it could be the same, but it's not. There are strings that go deeper. Obviously, my parents who are now in heaven, my children, my grandchildren, my husband, those are all my priorities, in love. I'm going to 
gravitate toward them first. I'm going to want to know those relationships are in order. But then there's, um, you know, there's friends and we have different levels of friendships there. But um, I probably have that same basic kind of uh, way of displaying how I care about them. I'm glad you bring up priorities. That's a really interesting uh, point or, or something I want to follow up on. We've talked a couple times about like a general love for humanity or, or humankind. Um, this responsibility maybe to be kind to strangers or to take care of people in need. Uh, but we do, I think, prioritize our family and friends, those that we have close intimate relationships with. Do you think that when we're using the love in those two cases that we're saying the same thing with different priorities or are we using a word but meaning two totally different kinds of things? I think they're two separate things. Um, the the family and the the close knit um, nucleus has a different relationship than the rest of the molecules in the world. Uh, so, from a scientific standpoint, I look at at the family uh, core and then having a different attraction and relationship and interaction. Then you got to get along with the rest of the world. So, you know, there has to be a respect and a relationship and an interaction back and forth. There has to be an appreciation. I think an appreciation and a respect for those around is uh, maybe a better term than love. I think uh, some have tried to use the term love and have forgotten about respect and uh, relationship about uh, about conducting business in a way that is uh, uplifting to people. And uh, I think the core of the family is the priority, but I do think that people need to put priority on outside relationships also. Otherwise, the family's gonna get crushed by uh, just not having any respect or any way of knowing how to interact with anybody else. They can become so secluded and so inbred in their own relationship and in their own love that they don't know how to interact with the rest of the world and have an appreciation for the rest of the world. I had no idea you were going to bring up quantum theory in this conversation. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet, but... Uh, <laughs> Because I didn't get into the attraction of the various molecules or the various, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, components. I think in the, in all of that, um, there's a respect. There's just a, uh, love is respect. Um, in a classroom setting, I remember the took Greek that first year, and and the professor had such great respect for us that I was compelled to give it back. And I think most of the class was. He could he could chastise us, but we, we felt respect, not chastisement. And uh, you give respect, i.e. love, you can receive it. And, and in our world today, how much time do we, how much do we really respect, especially those who might have opinions different than ours, or do we go off on a tangent because they don't agree with us? And blah, blah, blah. 
Good time to bring up some Greek terms, would it not be? <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> well, I'm going to start at the far end out, the least known. I looked these up, some of them I didn't learn in Greek. It's exenia. And that's all he's talking about strangers, I don't know, people outside of home, whatever. Hospitality to those who are away from home or far away. Um, a guest kind of friendship. You open your home to them. They come in. They're protected. They have shelter. That's one kind of friendship you could have for those that aren't of your family, but just of the community of the world. Um, I don't know many ways to do that. I think people that foster care, people that take in um, students from other countries, what do you call that? Exchange, Exchange students. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably the kind of love you're talking about there. And then Philatia, a self-love, which immediately doesn't sound good, but this is a, a basic human necessity. It's not vanity, it's not selfishness. It's having self-compassion, not self-assessment. Um, you got to be able to love yourself to love others. When you don't really like yourself, it's easy to not, to find fault with everybody else. And it's, But it's got to be a healthy kind of a self-assessment. And I don't know how well we do that. Does the self-care fall into that category at all? Like um, maintaining yourself, making sure you have good hygiene, uh, going to the doctor regularly, that yeah. sort of stuff? I would say that'd be very good, Anthony. Um, those kind of things, taking care of yourself so you're there for your spouse, you're there for others because you took time for yourself. Yeah. And you're also not a burden to others. Uh, there are those who are willing to um, uh, siphon inappropriately in the relationship <laughs> and not having a two-way street where, where uh, I'm willing to uh, keep myself up and strong enough and presentable and whatever else to be a, a, a healthy part of the relationship. Uh, you know, so I'm not going to be like a, uh, a a leech in the relationship, but I'm going to be actually a partner and engage and be uh, a contributor to what's going on. And I just want to say this is not uh, this wasn't planned or scripted, but I've been reading uh, Michel Foucault's uh, Hermeneutics of the Subject, a series of lectures that he gave. And the lecture I just read was about how the, the Delphic saying, know thyself, is part of a larger um, Greek concept of take care of yourself. Yes. And it's everything we're talking about, this like being responsible, being a, a self-sufficient individual, requires building up your talents, taking care of your health, uh, developing healthy relationships. So I think um, maybe unlike the, the self-love that maybe we might criticize from a puritanical point of view is kind of narcissism this this seems like a much more healthy sense of self right yeah yeah self-worth yeah right right and and in depression clinical depression which i experienced you loathe yourself you think the world would be better off if you weren't here and so that's easy to talk yourself into destroying yourself um I had two little boys that I thought would be so much better if mom wasn't around. And so having to work through that, being meeting with the doctor, being on medication, going to counseling and working through that, 
and certainly for me, um, having God in the picture, has to bring me back to that self-love, that self-respect, self-esteem, that that's huge. The self-esteem is so huge. People don't even understand how important that is in your life. So That's incredibly brave of you to share. Thank you for sharing that with us. I want to ask you real quick, Corbin, what's the kind of Greek love that is for your favorite sports team? Storge. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate to bottle up twice in a half hour. <laughs> I got a couple of other things here just to bring in some philosophers into the conversation. And of uh, the, um, the, we say phileo, they had it listed as philia. I, it's the same thing, affectionate regard, friendships, that's usually between equals. Like you guys are probably philia kind of relationship. But Aristotle, he had a work on ethics called... The Nicomachean Ethics. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and um, It's okay, Anthony, we'll get into this sometime. <laughs> <laughs> it expresses very it expresses it as loyalty to friends and family and community it requires virtue and equality and familiarity I can't say these words it's a specifically brotherly kind of love like the city of Philadelphia city of brotherly love oh now I'm making that connection thank you <laughs> I thought they were just a bunch of idiots over there. <laughs> Who knew that they were philosopher admirers? <laughs> Eros. Okay. Eros is usually thought of as the sexual passion, intimate love. But there was this guy named Plato. Who that? <laughs> <laughs> he felt that it was an appreciation for the beauty within a person. Didn't have anything to do with physical attraction, thus we have the term platonic. But it's without physical attraction. It just helps to recall the beauty of a person, of what's inside a person. And boy, don't we need a lot more of that, looking beyond the physical and just observing the nature, the good things that we can about people. One last philosopher, Thomas Aquinas. Okay. Famous. We're talking about the top ultimate word for love is agape, which I always devoted or equated with divine love, God's love for man, man's love for God. But Aquinas took that to mean to will the good of another. And, um, hey, you know, we, we want the best for our children. We want the best for our grandchildren. We will the best for our children's friends. Um, so that's the top kind of love. And I would just want to insert here, because of my strong beliefs, that my love alone is not enough. I can't do it on my own. I have to have a divine, agape kind of love filtering through me out to others to see them with respect, to treat them with respect, to understand 
be sensitive to their needs, to be here for them, to deeply care. It all starts with a source higher than me is what truly makes up who I am. And yes, because I'm still human, I do fail in that a lot. But I'm, I have this thing, live simple, finish well, and I'm working on it. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. It's a lot of uh, good background information and perspective from, uh, you know, it's shaped our contemporary culture through millennia of, of cultural exchange. And uh, I think we have kind of internalized these different concepts and the fact that we use the same word to kind of apply to all of them probably lends to some confusion as to how, what we mean when we relate to one another. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've gotten lazy with the the use of the term love, and rather than and and we just use it to gloss over a whole bunch of things that we probably ought to pay a lot more attention to, but uh, we just allow the singular word to be the the generalized term, and just like uh, in a lot of other aspects of life, uh, when you're not specific about a term or a use of words. Uh, then, uh, which, by the way, drives me crazy. So if, you, if, you, if you're not specific about a term or the application of the term, then uh, you're indicating that you really don't care about it. And it's the same way with love. If you just throw the four-letter word around for all those different things, then uh, you are uh, selling short um, key facets of life that flow from all these different types of relationships that uh, people try to generalize too much and therefore, uh, I think, uh, end up relieving themselves of the responsibility of taking care of those things. Mm -hmm. Did you preview our, our interview with my brother, with your son? I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin uh, basically nope. said the same thing. Nope. I'll wait just to see his... <laughs> Yeah, I know that's, that's really good. Um, since we've covered it, Anthony, do you have a, a question you want to go? I was just going to add that you guys are all of the same molecules for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we banged around against each other enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you started mentioning uh, the boundaries of different relationships and also the responsibilities of those relationships. So um, it, one of the questions that we always ask is, uh, how does conflict um, play into your use and understanding of love? And I'd just like to just extend that, however you, you guys take that. I'm going to take that first because he can wrap it up with really good intelligent stuff. And mine is not that great. But I've read somewhere, it's great. Self-esteem, it's great. When I, read. <laughs> I read somewhere a long time ago that if you don't have conflict in your relationship, somebody's not being honest. Every relationship will have conflict. But having said that, I hate conflict. I hate yelling at one another. I hate anything that upsets anybody. I tend to run from it. I tend to, and, and I tend to cause it. Oh my, I'm really good at causing it, <laughs> but uh, I avoid it. I just don't like conflict. It makes me very uncomfortable. So I've got to learn to work with that. I would say conflict gives you an opportunity to appreciate the relationship. Mm -hmm. So uh, 
you know, if if everything is uh, just uh, glassy, smooth water, smooth sailing, then uh, yeah, yeah, uh, pretty boring, pretty boring. Although you know, we could use a little smooth sailing now and then, but uh, uh, but if it's all just smooth sailing, then then uh, you start taking things for granted. You don't work at it. Uh, you know the. Why do we exercise? Well, we don't exercise, <laughs> obviously, uh, because you, you exercise to strengthen yourself. And uh, so you have to find resistance. You have to find uh, something that that uh, puts strain on you. And the same way in the relationship. The relationship is strengthened. Uh, and Anthony, getting, getting uh, to another molecular type scenario, you strengthen steel by annealing it and by pounding on it and by stretching it and twisting it and then putting it in the final form so that it's in the strongest shape possible. If we took just the raw ore and didn't melt it down and didn't purify it and didn't uh, compress it and shape it into the shape you want, uh, it'd just fall apart. And it's the same way with our relationships. If without the conflict, and without the ability to deal with the conflict, then uh, the relationships fall apart. They, they, and they can't withstand the internal pressure, and they certainly can't withstand the external pressure because the outside is going to put as much pressure and conflict on the relationship as the inside ever could. That brings us back around to that other C word you started out with, commitment. You can deal with conflict if that commitment's in place. You're going to come out of it together no matter what. So. Yeah, I thought it was interesting earlier, and, and I mentioned that we'd come back to it. So if you want to talk a little bit more about this, you can. Um, the idea that there might just have to be a decision to say that we're not going to allow this conflict to rupture this relationship. And if, if that commitment, if that decision has been made, then we have to find a solution because we're not letting this disrupt and stop the relationship and and that's where you got to start that's that's not always <laughs> successful and it's not always that simple to do um because there are all kinds of other factors that that could absolutely crush that decision so so not to say that it's uh infallible and not to say that it's uh uh absolute but mm -hmm. you but you've got to start there or, or you won't even get off from home base. You know, you, you can't even push away from the from the shoreline because uh, there's there's just not enough resolve to even get started. So you got to have you got to have some level of resolve, and the the stronger the resolve, then the stronger the relationship. <coughs> and what would appear to others outside as as love is uh, just a, a bonding uh, due to mutual decision. And, it, and it's a mutual decision. It's two-way. It can't be, can't be just one person deciding that they're going to make a relationship work or that they're going to be the person of conflict and we're going to kneel this relationship or the other person saying, you know, we're always going to take it and be the absorber of the relationship. Uh, it has to be mutual give and take and a mutual decision. And I just wanted to add to that, uh, just because, you know, we emphasize the role that decision might play in overcoming conflict doesn't necessarily mean that you ought to always make that decision, right? I'm thinking about extreme cases of domestic violence or unhealthy relationships. 
and that's where have to decide going. that this is not the relationship. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or even a first date. <laughs> yeah, bad <laughs> <at> first date. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually um, so in a previous episode, I had made this theory that um, that the extent of conflict will you know, decide whether you maintain the relationship or not maintain it. And I was kind of thinking along the lines of like, um, you know, friendships, uh, early romantic phase relationships, that sort of thing. But, you know, Corbin, you mentioned these really extreme cases um, that even can rupture really serious relationships. And uh, something that you guys are telling me um, gives me this idea that if you have the tools to deal with conflict, you might put up with a little bit more conflict at these like early relationship stages. Would you agree or disagree or further characterize that? Well, I'd say the more tools you have, the, the simpler it might be, uh, the better quit then obviously. Uh, I'd say it's dependent on your background and your history, uh, depending on the family relationships that you're coming out of you may have the ability to interact with conflict uh, in other family relationships that I'm aware of. <laughs> uh, you learn that uh, you're either going to overcome conflict or you're going to be crushed. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's not necessarily a, a, a best kind of tool. Uh, so it's highly dependent on what you can bring to the table or what you learn to develop. Okay, how, how willing and open am I to developing appropriate tools to uh, utilize the conflict to better the relationship? Um, but you got to recognize that, that you're working at bettering the relationship and you're not just throwing conflict in there for the sake of conflict because uh, we seem to uh, at least talk to each other when we're yelling at each other, you know? So, mm -hmm. so you don't want to go there either. That is a really good point. Sometimes uh, conflict doesn't uh, necessarily disrupt a relationship. Sometimes it's an attempt to, to create and, and strengthen a relationship maybe in an unhealthy way. Exactly. Have you guys ever noticed that there are just some people, maybe some couples, that thrive on conflict. They wouldn't know how to live without conflict. Oh my goodness, I know that's out there, and boy. And then there's other ones who aren't gonna have the least bit of conflict at all, but they're not real, they're not real and they're probably absolutely uh, uh, unfulfilled uh, because they don't know each other and they're really not sharing anything or trying to share anything. Uh, as much as just trying to be two, two shadows passing in the night type scenario, even though they're moving down the same path. Mm -hmm. That's why when Corbin and I first see each other every time, we give each other a good punch in the face. To see that. <laughs> <laughs> Let each other know that we love right. each other, right? Yeah. <laughs> that was just get ready for your next one-on-one uh, -on -one scrimmage. Right. <laughs> yeah, take that on the court. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mom and Dad, for joining us and for sharing your thoughts on this topic. Uh, I know it can be... Um, either personal or abstract. And, and I think you did a really great job of, 
filling out some content for for both the relationship and and how we express it. So thank you. And some research, some Greek research for my. Oh yes, yeah, that was a. I feel like this has been um, not a counseling session for us, but this has been good for us to have been interviewed to talk out these things that we don't necessarily talk about to each other. So in sitting here and listening to him, I'm I you know I'm thrilled to hear his thoughts and um, appreciate you guys pulling this out of us. It's been good.